Did you know that the word Zion applies to seven different things in the Bible, including a name for God's people that has a powerful revelation associated with it that stretches from time to eternity? Find out what all of that means on this episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. The word Zion is a powerful biblical word that is used quite often, but very few believers really understand the profoundness of its meaning. It actually applies to seven different things. First, it was a reference to the southeast ridge of Jerusalem, where David set up his tabernacle for the Ark of the Covenant, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. Second, it also came to be used for Mount Moriah, which was just a little to the north and on the east side of Jerusalem. Then, as it evolved in meaning, it came to be used for the entire city of Jerusalem. And number four, the people who identified with that city as their capital. Then you shift to the New Covenant, where the word Zion also is applicable to the born-again, blood-washed believers of the New Testament era. We are Zion. And then it refers to the high place of worship that we ascend to when we come into this presence of God in our corporate gatherings and also on an individual basis. Finally, the word Zion applies to the eternal city of God, New Jerusalem, where we will all dwell with the King of Zion, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's break all of that down and get a little bit deeper into it. First of all, Isaiah 51 verse 16 is the only place in scripture where the word Zion is assigned to God's people. Listen to it. And I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. And so God very clearly indicates he refers to his people as Zion. We're also referred to as children of Zion. And being children of Zion, we identify with the city of Jerusalem, the heavenly Zion, the heavenly New Jerusalem, as our capital city. And let me give you two scriptures that refer to us that way. Psalm 149 verse 2 says, Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Sometimes I think we get too focused on political wranglings and worrying about what this government is doing, what that government is doing. I don't see the early church preoccupied with that. They did not talk hardly at all about what was going on politically in their day, but they rejoiced in the king of Zion. 
that they were connected to in a covenant relationship. Sometimes I think we need to shift our awareness, our consciousness away from the world and what's happening in this corrupted world and get our focus on that which is incorruptible, the wonderful things God is doing in us and preparing for us eternally. Then also Joel chapter 2 verse 23 says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately. He has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And of course, many people use that prophecy as an indicator that the greatest move of God will transpire in the last days right before the final harvest. So there you have it, two verses where we are referred to as children of Zion. And whatever you are a child of, you owe your existence to. And so Zion is a name for the spiritual kingdom that we are a part of, that is permeated with the presence of God, that kingdom that we become sensitive to and aware of, especially when we pray or when we gather in corporate worship. And so if we are children of that realm, we've been born of the Spirit, we've been begotten of the Word, and the nature of that Zion kingdom is now our nature. It's a nature of joy and peace and love and power and authority and wisdom and knowledge and so much more. And that's what it means to be children of Zion. But there's a hidden meaning that is very, very profound because the word Zion actually means a fortress, that you are a fortress of faith. You and the rest of the body of Christ are a fortress of faith in a world full of unbelief. You are a fortress of love in a world full of hate. You are a fortress of peace in a world full of anxiety. You are a fortress of truth in a world filled with deception. You are Zion. You are God's fortress. And a fortress is a safe place behind walls where you defend yourself from an attacking enemy. And of course, our enemies are sin, satanic powers, the kingdom of darkness, the world system, all of these things have pitted themselves against the body of Christ, but we are within a fortress and we make up that fortress of faith in a world that wants us to sink into unbelief. We are a fortress of love in a world that wants to infiltrate our hearts with bitterness and anger, hostility and prejudice, but we are those who have escaped from that and we've hidden behind the walls of salvation because God said he would cause the walls of the Zion city to be salvation. God delivers us from all of those dark influences and preserves us behind the walls of his saving power. Praise God for that. I think it's interesting to see that Zion was originally a stronghold of the Jebusite people, which were one of the very last Canaanite tribes to be conquered. David was the one who did it. And for many years, they were, they were a stronghold of enemy opposition 
until David, who was a type of Christ, came and conquered them. And then he set up his capital on Mount Zion. Well, what does that mean? I think it means something on an individual basis, and I think it means something on a universal basis. Because see, you used to be a stronghold of the enemy. You were a stronghold of deception and unbelief and fear and depression and self-condemnation and guilt. You were a stronghold of enemy control. The enemy, satanic powers had control of many of your lives. Some of you escaped that. Maybe you were raised in the truth and always under a canopy of grace. And thank God for those who have that testimony. But then Jesus came in, our beloved son of David, the one that David was a type of. He came in and conquered the enemy's rule in our hearts and set up his kingdom there, just like David did in that stronghold of Jebusite control. But then I also see it on a universal scale. Because see, this world is the stronghold of Satan and all of his demonic underlings. And one day the king of Zion is going to demolish the stronghold of Satan in this world and set up a paradise kingdom once again that will surround the globe and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Can you imagine what it will be like when the Zion kingdom permeates the atmosphere in this world? Hallelujah for that coming day. And it's an assurance that we can all have. We don't doubt it. We don't wonder if it will happen. It will come to pass at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's so many overtones of symbolism with the word Zion. So much so, I don't have time to go into all of it, but I'm going to give you the highlights. First of all, two things were on Mount Zion once David set up his kingdom there. When the ark came back from Philistine captivity, David did not put it in the tabernacle of Moses at Gibeon. Instead, he broke from the ordinary religious order and set the ark in a tent on Mount Zion. And I'm sure the, I'm sure the traditionalists were not happy with him because instead of being hidden behind a veil in the Holy of Holies, the ark was right in the middle of the tabernacle of David with no separating veil. And the priests ministered around the ark 24-7, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, some feel very definitely the scripture indicates that there was constant worship going on on the mountain called Zion, a fortress of worship in a world that knew nothing about worship, a fortress of the revelation of the true God as exemplified in the Ark of the Covenant that was crowned with the mercy seat. So it was a revelation of the God of mercy and the glory of God rested upon that mercy seat. I believe when you visited Mount Zion, as you were coming up the slopes, you could feel, sense, and possibly even see the radiance of the glory of God coming from the tabernacle of David. And it was a totally different order of worship. There was no 
altar of sacrifice there. They only uh, sacrificed animal offerings to God when the tabernacle was dedicated one time. And after that, that never took place again. At the tabernacle of Moses, there was a constant stream of sacrificial offerings, a constant reminder of the death that was the outcome of sin being transferred from sinners to the sacrificial animals they brought to the tabernacle of Moses. It was a morbid atmosphere, a dark atmosphere, a dreadful atmosphere. But at the tabernacle of David, much different. It was an atmosphere of constant rejoicing. In fact, David said, I will offer in your tabernacle sacrifices of joy, not a mournful, grievous approach, but a wonderful, victorious approach. It was like a foreshadowing, a glimpse of the new covenant to come. In fact, the Bible reveals that it was in the first apostolic council held in the book of Acts. They talked about how the coming of the new covenant was a fulfillment of a prophecy that the tabernacle of David would be erected again. But it's in a spiritual sense, because see, the sacrifice only had to happen one time. Jesus died on the cross. Now we don't have to have a constant reminder of sin and its resulting curse of death. That happened one time. Now victory is imparted to God's people when you go to the cross and your sins are washed away. Isn't that amazing? Also, when you went to Mount Zion, you went to the throne of the king because David set up another tent there with his throne. So when people came to make petitions of him where he had to preside as a judge over different situations, they would come to Mount Zion. And that meant those two things. They were coming to the glory of God and coming to the throne of the king. Well, both of those things apply to us in a spiritual sense. Let me take you to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. It's a lengthy passage, but I'm going to read it now and then give you some applications. And it's a contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Mount Sinai, of course, was the mountain that got enveloped with his fire He spoke out of it with thunderclap authority and gave the Ten Commandments to a stunned group of Israelites, probably over a million men and many more women and children. They shook and trembled as they heard the audible voice of God give the Ten Commandments from that mountain. And it was a very fearful thing because Moses had set boundaries around the mountain with instructions that if anyone went past those boundaries up into the fire of God that was enveloping the mountain, even if it was an animal, it should be stoned or thrust through with an arrow. And so God's presence was visible but withheld from them because they could not enter into the presence. They just heard commandments come out from that fire that made a very heavy demand on their lives. And if they fell short of it, then they came under a curse because Deuteronomy 27 verse 26 says, Cursed be he that confirms not all the words of this this commandment covenant, all the words of this Torah to do them. 
And so it was a very wonderful thing, but terrible thing simultaneously. And that's what this passage is referring to, how it shifted in the new covenant. Now, let me read it, starting with verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 12. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. They begged Moses and said, Moses, you talk to us. We'll listen to you, but let not God talk to us or we'll die. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than of Abel. So (laughs) that's a lot of rich revelation there. And I urge you to go and read it yourself and meditate on that passage of scripture. But the most important thing I have to share is that the writer of Hebrews, which I believe to be Paul, did not say this is a futuristic hope. He said, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. See, our citizenship is in heaven right now. And in a spiritual sense, a metaphorical sense, we already have come to Mount Zion. And every time we go to God in prayer and we get in the spirit, every time we come together in worship, and magnify him. It's like we're ascending up the slopes of Mount Zion, just like worshipers did in the days of David. And we go into the glory of God, and we go up to the throne of the king. Not King David, but the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And when you come to Mount Zion, you come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, because your king is the Lord of hosts, which means the God of an army of angels who are poised and ready for battle. And if you start praising God, I believe that's something that attracts angels to intervene in your behalf. I do not believe that believers can command angels or communicate with angels unless an angel initiates that, unless the king of heaven commands those angels to move in your behalf. However, you do have angels that are committed to you. God charges them as ministering spirits to minister to the heirs of salvation. And the Bible says you have come to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. That means the church in which every member is treated like a firstborn son. See, there's no big eyes, no little U's. All who are washed in the blood are equally righteous in the sight of God and equally acceptable in the sight of God. How wonderful is that? And you've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Well, what did Abel's blood speak? 
I believe Abel's blood cried out for mercy for his brother because that's what the Lord gave Cain. When God rebuked Cain for having murdered Abel, he put a mark on him and told him he would be a wanderer in the earth. He would be exiled for the rest of his life, but he did not bring on him the curse of death that should have been. Uh, it, it should have happened because the Old Testament standard was a, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. But I believe Abel's blood cried out for mercy. However, Jesus' blood cried out for more than that because justice means you get what you deserve. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. And Abel did not get what he deserved, which was death. But grace means you get what you don't deserve. And that's what Jesus has prayed into your life, even though you and I are responsible for his death because our sins are what took him to the cross. Still, his blood cries out for grace, unmerited love that will bring us the abundance of what heaven wants to provide. Now I'm going to sum all of this up by telling you that eventually we're going to make it to Zion in a full and complete and perfect sense because we're going to be a part of the coming kingdom that is a Zion kingdom. Isaiah 51.11 talks about it. Listen, therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Now, when those words were written, it meant on one level that the Jewish people who were captives in Babylon would one day return to the holy city, Jerusalem, and there would be a restoration of what they had prior to their captivity. The temple would be rebuilt, and they would restore their city. And so they would come with singing unto Zion. But on a higher level, it's a reference to all of the children of Zion worldwide, all who have been born again, all who have been delivered from their sin, all who count Jesus, the King of Zion, in their lives. And ultimately, we're headed for the city whose builder and maker is God, the highest expression of the word Zion. And on our return that way, we can rejoice because sorrow and sighing are fleeing away. Our sins are forgiven. We're in covenant with the creator of the universe. And so this applies to us. We have been redeemed. And to be redeemed means to be restored back to a right relationship, to be purchased with the blood of Jesus out of the bonds of sin, and to be brought back into oneness with God Praise God for that. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. It's upon you right now. It's upon me right now. That means I can think joyous thoughts. You can think joyous thoughts in the middle of a very sad world. And then it said they shall obtain gladness and joy, sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Get out of our lives sorrow and mourning. It's time to rejoice. We are the children of Zion. We are Zion. We have entered the glory of God and approached the throne of the king, just like the Bible reveals. What a glorious day it is to be alive. Thank you for listening. 
Join me on the next episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.